John 13, 21 through 30. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. My name's Evan. Um, my wife, Sandy, and I, we, it's our joy and privilege to lead this church, uh, Park Hill Church. And if you're new, welcome. Um, last week, we finished a 10-week series called Future Church. How was that, you guys, in community and discussion and all that? Yeah. We want those things to shape us over time. We want the things that we laid down to last into years to come in our community. Um, so feel free to revisit that on the podcast. Um, so um, we are now three weeks away from Advent. But before we get to Advent and then Christmas, the plan is to take these next three Sundays to focus on our vision as a church. Park Hill Church is built around really the vision of Jesus, which Jesus summed up in his famous prayer teaching when he said, here's how to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is where you are in heaven, right? And so being a Jesus follower means Jesus's dream, his vision becomes ours because we follow him which means the shared mission of our lives should become seeing God's kingdom come right here in San Diego through you and through me, uh, right here in our place. According to Jesus and the New Testament writers, this happens as God's people in the church practice Jesus's teachings together in community by the power of the Spirit. That's how Jesus' dream becomes reality. And, and this is actually what it means to be a Christian, or in today's, in Jesus' language, to be a disciple or an apprentice, you know? Uh, that's Jesus' language for a Christian. It's this apprentice idea under a master rabbi who's Jesus. So we believe that to be this apprentice of Jesus is to order our lives around these three goals. Be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and from there, go do what Jesus did. That's our vision as a church. You can see it on our website. And if you hang around for here very long, you'll hear us saying that a lot. And so the next three weeks, the plan is today, we talk about being with Jesus. And the next week, Dan Braga from Neighbors Church is going to be here to unpack what it means to become like Jesus. My wife and I, it's our 21st anniversary this week, and we're going to go up to... Oh, thanks. 
So we're going to go up to Portland, spend a couple days just celebrating one another, and then preach at the church that sent us to Plant Park Hill, so Westside Church. I'm going to preach up there this next Sunday. Dan will be here talking about Become Like Jesus, and then we'll wrap up this series with Do What Jesus Did on the 21st, and then you guys, it's Advent. We're already there, which is crazy. So how does that sound? That's the plan. So let's pray once again. Pray that the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates our minds and that we pay attention to his voice. Heavenly Father, would you breathe on this gathering, breathe into our hearts, the wind of heaven, the breath of God, the spirit of Jesus, so that our minds would be awakened to what it is you wanna do through us and that we'd be obedient in response. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray, amen. If someone asked you, how do I be with Jesus? what would you say? Like, what does it look like? Can I point to a behavior? It's like, okay, I'm being with Jesus now where I wasn't before. What's the observable action? Is it an action? Is it a feeling? Oh, I'm feeling like I'm with Jesus. Or is it a mindset that we get into? At our teaching meeting last week, we do it every week, uh, we have a teaching meeting with the team, and, and, and the team went around and around on this point. Like, is it the practices we just got done talking about? Silence, solitude, scripture, fasting. Are those the things we point to and be like, oh, we're doing them, therefore we're being with Jesus? I would argue those practices that come from Jesus, they're inseparable from following Jesus But being with Jesus is something more primal and more foundational than the practices. So what does it look like to be with Jesus? Here's the best answer I could come up with um, based on the scriptures, and I'll show you why from the scriptures. So here's kind of my, my summary. To be with Jesus is to live in an orientation of obedience to Jesus' commands. That's intentional language. In response to that orientation of obedience, in response, the Father then promises to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever. This obedience orientation is evidence that you're united with Jesus, sharing in his Father's love by his Spirit's power. So keep that slide up on the screen. When you think of an obedience orientation, think of like Google Maps or Apple Maps, depending on how you roll. You type in a destination and then hit go, and now you have a route, right? And the question is, is Jesus, is obedience to Jesus the current destination that's open on your your life map? In other words, in other words, asking the question, am I oriented toward obeying Jesus' commands? Is Jesus on my life map? It's another way of asking, am I being with him? Okay, they're the same question. Two questions that get at the same thing. Here it is in Jesus' own words, okay? Don't take my word for it. Jesus says it this way. John 14. If you love me, keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate, basically like me. He'll give you another one of me, in essence, to help you and to what? Be with you forever. Who is he? The spirit of truth, verse 17. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. You see this be with language. 
And Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. This is uncomfortably intimate language right now. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. So Jesus ties loving and being with him with obeying what comes out of his mouth. Obeying the whole body of Jesus' teachings that come to us through the Old and New Testament scriptures. Being with Jesus means Jesus' teachings are the current destination on the phone map of your life. It's typed in right now. It's not another destination. So the result of this orientation of obedience is that Jesus will be with you. We put him in the map of our life and he's like, I'm, I'm, I can work with that. I'm with you through the spirit. So does it look like the practices? Silence all to scripture and fasting and all these things. Does it look like that? Sure, absolutely. Being with Jesus will result in all of the Jesus practices, but in the words of Pete Scazzaro, don't confuse all of that doing for God with being with him. All the practices must flow from truly being with Jesus. It's not about feeling close to Jesus. It's about a heart orientation that says, Jesus, I'm watching you, eyes on you. I'm gonna honor you, listen, do whatever you say. Is that typed into your life map? And I realize this can still feel abstract. You're like, what does that look like? So thankfully, we get a very powerful visual (laughs) of what this looks like right here in the same story, John's gospel. Jesus is giving this teaching in, it's a famous teaching in a famous place. It's the upper room, the last supper, right? And it's a scene of deep intimacy. And this scene shows us what being with Jesus looks like and then doesn't look like. There's a contrast in the scene. So turn your Bible back one page to John 13, chapter 13, uh, starting in verse 21. Rebecca read it already. It's the night of Jesus' betrayal. We're going to read it in a moment. But just a backdrop, Jesus is enjoying the Last Supper meal. This would be the first communion, right? The disciples are all lingering around the table. They would have been like reclining back on throw pillows, actually, cushions uh, around the perimeter of a U-shaped table with no chairs. They're on the ground. So I got to eat a traditional meal like this in Saudi Arabia. Um, we, I was with a group. We had to lean back on these pillows on, on our left hand and eat with our right hand. And at first, I'm like, this is gonna be fun, a multicultural experience or whatever. Um, but after like three minutes of laying down with people I wasn't super close with, <laughs> I didn't quite know them. It was just a tr- travel group. I was like laying down with them. At first, I thought it'd be fun, but I felt so exposed after like four minutes. Um, at a table with chairs, you can sort of like hide half your body and just kind of keep your upper body engaged. Uh, and, and down here, you can like check your phone or whatever. Um, but there's no hiding anything when everyone's just laying on pillows in a circle, right? You're very present to each other, just like there, intimate. So picture that as Jesus is reclining with his 12 brothers, he begins to explain how one of the brothers will betray him. And they're all laying there. 
and the room gets very tense. And you, know, you, thought, you, you thought your Thanksgiving meal with your family this year is going to get awkward. This is a very awkward moment. They're, they're like laying on each other, and he's like, one of you is going to stab me in the back. And it's Judas, obviously. We know the story. Judas is planning to betray Jesus. He, Judas, get this. Judas is in the same room as Jesus, walking the same paths as Jesus for three years. He's around all the Jesus-y stuff, but he wasn't with Jesus, okay? You can be around this. You can, you can come, come under these pretty lights and cheer for people in the waters of baptism or whatever. It's possible to do the Jesus-y things and not be with them. So Jesus, during this meal, he's no longer able to contain his emotion. He just explodes. And verse 21, up on the screen, it says, Jesus was troubled in spirit or in anguish. It's a pain word. And he testifies, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. It's like he's not able to contain it. And it's this slow motion bad dream for the disciples. They're like, what is happening? This turns so dark. And then when Judas finally leaves the room, John, the writer, he, he records a random, seemingly random detail. And he says, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night, he says. Why do you think he said, and it was night? Because it was night, first of all. Um, but why include that? There were a lot of nights. The reason is because John loves to play with this light and dark metaphor. He, he loves this opposites game. And he does this from the beginning of the book. Remember the verse in the beginning, it says, in Jesus, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Two lights, two darknesses, to show this polarity that's going on around Jesus. Light, dark, day, night. And so here, what we see is Jesus, the light of the world, is getting betrayed, and John's like, this is night. Because something incredibly dark is happening. Someone who was doing the Jesus-y things is now rejecting Jesus' love and his true identity is being exposed. His current map destination was not obedience, it's betrayal. All through John's gospel, Judas is losing trust. You can watch the progression. If you look at Judas through the gospel of John, it's a very interesting falling away story. And here it culminates just flatly rejecting Jesus' love. But during this dark scene, we get another pair of opposites, another contrast to the darkness of Judas. And he's this unnamed disciple, right? We don't get his name. We're just told he's the disciple who, what? Yeah. He identifies himself as the beloved disciple of Jesus. So as Judas is plotting betrayal, there's this other disciple on the other end who's leaning back into Jesus's chest physically, literally a physical orientation of obedience to Jesus, close to Christ in warm intimacy and trust, right? And so historically, we know this is John, the writer of this gospel, John. But he never says his name. Instead, he identifies that he's loved, and so the, the loved disciple's name is left blank so that every one of you can put your name there. Every one of you can say, this is who I'm called to be. We're invited to be the beloved disciple. 
leaning back into Jesus in special intimacy, ready to respond to the voice of Jesus at any moment. This is who you're called to be. So see the contrast. Judas rejects Jesus' love. The beloved disciple is physically absorbing Jesus' love, literally up against his body. This is John's way of saying there's really two kinds of people. So if you haven't picked it up, John's a very black and white guy in his book, literally light and dark guy. And so he's saying there's two kinds of people, those who are either moving away from Jesus' love in more and more rejection, or those who are coming nearer to Jesus in more and more intimacy. Those are the two kinds of people. And and the question, obvious question is, which one are you today? Is Jesus' chest the current destination of your map? A heart orientation to obey everything he commands. That's what John's getting at here. And I really want to like meditate on this. Today's teaching is shorter than normal. I timed it this morning. It's like 30 minutes. You know, it's like longer than that. And, and, uh, and so as they're reclining around this table, think of this. Remember, no chairs, just cushions. The disciple, John, leans back on Jesus. When you rest your head on someone's chest, what do you hear? With your ear right there. Yeah, you, you hear their heartbeat. You hear an indication of what their cortisol levels are, their anxiety levels, their emotions. John is picking this up from the soul of Jesus. He's feeling his pulse, the pulse of Jesus. Think about that. For John, a disciple is someone who leans back on Jesus, hearing the heartbeat of Jesus, and from that place looking out at the world. That's a disciple. You get the picture of discipleship from John. This is what he sees as the ultimate form of discipleship. You being with Jesus, leaning on his chest, hearing Jesus' own heart's response to the situations around him, and then clearly seeing the world around you and responding like Jesus with his heartbeat inside you. This is discipleship. A disciple is someone who sees the world with the sound of Jesus' heart in their ear. And for me as a pastor, this is like life and death, honestly, physically and spiritually. I have to be where this disciple is. I have to be in a constant place where I'm close enough to Jesus to hear his heart. If I don't, things get wonky very fast. I mean, so yes, I don't know, newsflash for some of you maybe, you can lose sight of this intimacy even as a pastor, even in ministry, I mean, Judas was a very close follower of Jesus, one of, the, one of the big guns. And for me, I flirted with Judas-likeness. I flirted with that way too many times. I had my body pressed up against church and the church's needs and identifying my worth by how many emails come in that I can fix. I can fix you. I can be your super pastor. And I get my worth from how I respond to you and how well I respond to emails and how many people I get to talk to through a week and make feel loved. And my body, my heartbeat, my heart rate is getting aligned with how well I'm doing for you. And, 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 and may, or maybe it's what I think San Diego needs, coming up with partnerships with nonprofit organizations. Oh, we've got so many new irons in the fire. Yes, I'm being with Jesus. Or back when I was writing music in the Christian industry and doing a lot of worship songwriting and traveling, yeah, there's, I just came up with a great chorus and now those churches over there are singing it. I'm being with Jesus. 
But when, you are, when I'm really walking in intimacy with Jesus, I'll tell you what I realize. I realize what my family and my church and my city truly need. <laughs> they need people who are close enough to Jesus to hear his heart so I can say, oh, this is Jesus' heartbeat, not the church's heartbeat, not culture's heartbeat. This is Jesus' heartbeat. Come over here and see clearly from this spot. This is what you, the people around you need the most. Not how well-read you are, not how much money you're making or how many people you know or how you even appear to other people. For me, this happens, this alignment happens when I'm pressed up against Jesus' chest with that obedience orientation, whatever you say. And from that location, I can then say to my wife, Sandy, hey, come here, follow me. Like, this is a great idea, isn't it? Jesus is speaking. Or like, hey, this, come this way. Watch what I'm doing or seeing. This is where you'll gain perspective on life. The only time I can speak with any semblance of authority is from my ear on Jesus' breastbone, heart obedience. Now, here's why this is such a big deal, you guys. Because according to John's gospel, in his intro, chapter one, the disciples' location, Jesus' chest, is exactly Jesus' location, Father's chest, in John 1. Same words, actually. Here's the old King James gets the Greek wordplay really well. So how many of you have an old King James version? How many of you have that bad boy on your laps right now? It's awesome. See, did I see a hand? I don't know. You can look it up on your phone. But actually, the old King James gets the Greek wordplay really well. It says, in John 1, no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. That's Jesus' location. That's his current location, the bosom of the Father. And he hath declared him from there. <laughs> and now, now look at our passage here. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Same Greek word, bosom. And I know that's a really weird word in English. We don't really use the word bosom anymore. Don't think male or female body parts. Think the folds of a garment. That's what the Greek word meant. The fold, like, like a kid who takes his t-shirt you know you did this, and you take your t-shirt and you put all your matchbox cars in it because you don't have enough hands, or all your Barbie dolls in it because you don't have enough hands, and, and then you carry it to your friends. This is the bosom. It's a fold of a garment. It's literally what it meant to the original reader, meaning John the disciple is in the fold. Jesus has him picked up in the fold of his garment, pressed up against his body heat, covered and intimate and being taken somewhere by Jesus, just like Jesus is folded up in his Father. Exact same location. So, so the implications, do you see the implications of this? It says, Jesus being that close to the Father is what made God knowable to the world. So <laughs> you... Being that close to Jesus is what makes God knowable to your world and your dorm and your family and your workplace. That's what makes God known to the world. All about being with Jesus. So, so that's why Park Hill, this is why our vision is first and foremost to be with Jesus. From being with him, leaning back on his heart and looking out at the world from there, we get the clarity and power to make God knowable through our lives. Only from there can we then become like him 
and do the stuff he did, right? Our heart orientation of obedience to Jesus, that's what reveals God to a world that needs God's healing. So hopefully you hear the obvious question all morning. Are you oriented toward obeying everything that comes from Jesus? Unreserved, leaning back, vulnerable intimacy, whatever you say, I'll do. Show me your heart. If we're not there, we have work to do. We have a repentance to do. And maybe you're like, okay, being with Jesus, I get it. It's a great picture. The ultimate posture of obedience. Yeah, I, I want that. Maybe you're like, I want that. And you're responding right now. You sense the spirit like quickening your heart and you're even searching your heart. Like, is there anywhere in me where I'm holding back? That's a good question to ask. And you're like, is, what, how do I cultivate this? Is there anything I can do like Monday morning, November 8th, to cultivate being with Jesus? And the answer is yes, there is. And may I humbly offer three very simple pastoral answers. Number one, to cultivate being with Jesus, you got to show up through prayer. You got to show up through prayer. Ronald Rollheiser says it this way. He's just, just a master disciple maker. Um, he, he's incredible. There's no bad way to pray and there's no starting point for prayer. All the great spiritual masters offer only one non-negotiable rule. You have to show up for prayer and you have to show up regularly. That is leaning on Jesus' chest in its most childlike form, prayer. There's this phrase I like to say because it really gets at the heart of prayer. Prayer is faith breathing. Prayer is faith breathing. For 2021, our leadership team unanimously felt the Spirit calling our church to do less community nights in their current form and more prayer nights. So if you're a part of a community, <laughs> there were like three months where we redirected your community meetings to be right here on Tuesday nights, crying out to God in prayer. And um, let me tell you, <laughs> as your friendly neighborhood pastor, uh, we have never faced resistance quite like we did for that initiative. Like all, from all angles, from ourselves, we didn't want to go, from, from the enemy, from like all, all like people in the church, like, why are we doing this? There's just so much resistance. And we learned a couple things, you guys, about prayer and about Christians. Like, we learned as a leadership team, Christians have like this deep love-hate relationship with prayer, like love-hate. Um, we believe in it. We think it's amazing. We'll listen to sermons on it, but doing it is another story. And, and we also learned if Christians don't remove everything else off our tables to pray, we just won't pray. So we had to be drastic. And we hope to continue a, a resolved movement toward prayer in 2022 because prayer is faith breathing. Breathing to your body is, is like prayer to your faith. You will suffocate if you stop spiritually and you won't even know it. In your moments of greatest anxiety and greatest uh, a spiritual attack and greatest suffering, those moments when you need breath the most are the moments, no wonder the enemy comes in and gets you to pray even less than because you want your faith to be atrophied. So, so there's no bad way to pray. Just show up. 
Like when you're alone, when you're together with Christians, when you're driving, when you're at home, like there's no bad way to pray. Just show up to pray and show up regularly. That's number one, how to cultivate being with Jesus. Number two, you have to put away distraction. Put away distraction. So imagine the disciple that Jesus loved. Imagine him, he's leaning back on Jesus. He's hearing Jesus' heartbeat and suddenly, you know, He's leaning back. It's like, like he feels, and Jesus is like, I feel that too. Uh, are you going to get that? Like that distracts me now, you know? Last week I did this uh, group father-son camping trip. Uh, it was four days and three nights with other dads and their sons. And we talked through what it means to be like godly people and godly men in the world. And it was beautiful in the Northern Arizona wilderness. And one of the rules for this trip Get this, we all had to lock our phones away for 72 hours in this black box with the words grafted into it, you'll be okay. <laughs> I lost count of how often I reached for my phone to like look something up or take an awesome picture of a moment. They had like a, a guy with a camera like, trust our camera guy, you'll be okay. <laughs> and, and, and so I kept looking, I'm like, oh, I wanna text Sandy, how awesome, oh, I don't have it. Um, the tech industry, the tech industry has made our lives very efficient. It has also conspired against your depth. Maybe, just a suggestion to consider, community leaders, consider this. Uh, maybe have like a little jar on the door with a masking tape that says, you'll be okay. Everybody puts their phones in it for community night. I don't know. That could actually enhance the quality of your spiritual life in ways that are profound. 90 minutes without your phone altogether. Imagine that. We have become so attentive to the trivial, you guys. You know, I don't know if now, now the Apple phone thing, I'm probably never going to get one. I don't mind them necessarily, except for when I'm talking and someone checks their time. Oh, wait, no, they're just, it's the same as checking their phone. They're stopping talking to me and looking at their texts just because. So like we become so attentive to what's not in front of us <laughs> so that we aren't attentive to anyone or any of the most meaningful things particularly what's actually happening inside. We've medicated our inner life with trivial things. So being with Jesus requires, number one, show up to pray. Number two, put away distractions. And finally, before we come to the table, in Pete Scazzaro's words, number three, cultivate being with Jesus. But you need to release control of your relationship with God to God. Here's what I mean by that. We're great at making goals, right? 90 day, one year, and then three year goals. Uh, that's, that can be really great. Align them with your desires, what's your natural wiring, set your goals and make your plans. Amazing. That can be very godly. Absolutely. But often we're tempted to go to the living God with the same grid. Control the outcomes, order our spiritual growth goals and try to like use God to produce my own transformation or manipulate God to try to make me the kind of person I think I need to be. When what we really need to do, what you need to do is release control of your spiritual outcomes to God. Release control of the feeling that you have to be close to God to God. And acknowledge that he's present regardless. This requires, you know what this requires? This is the one practice I think that's required at the very beginning of a journey with Jesus in a very real way. And it requires 
silence. Are you a person of the silence? I'm continuing to learn through silence and also proper Sabbath with my family and community. I'm learning that I have to stop controlling my life with God. I have to let go as worship. Let go of outcomes as an act of worship. Ruth Haley Barton talks about it like this. Without the regular experience of being received and loved by God in solitude and silence, we're vulnerable to a kind of leadership that is driven by a profound emptiness that we're seeking to fill through performance and achievement. Sub in leadership, anything for that, working, even being a Christian, we're, we're, we're vulnerable to a kind of spirituality that is driven by emptiness that we seek to fill through performance. If we don't first be still and know who God is and who you are, the disciple whom Jesus loves. Maybe that's why Judas wanted Jesus gone. Judas was trying to control Jesus. That's why Judas was following. Maybe. Maybe Judas was driven by that deep emptiness and he started to realize Jesus wouldn't do what Judas wanted. Judas decided to get rid of Jesus. But the enduring picture, the ultimate picture of discipleship, look at John, the disciple who Jesus loved, leaning back on Jesus, showing up in regular prayer without distraction, releasing control of your spiritual outcomes. Lord, whoever I become, as I'm looking at you, I am yours. I am your workmanship. So whatever tomorrow brings, let go. Here you are. Here you are, God. So we're going to move into a time of communion and then a brief time of prayer because some of this can stir up, man, I'm so, maybe you can feel overcomplicating it. I'm so far from leaning on Jesus. Actually, he's very present to you. He's very ready to receive yourself. Very ready. And sometimes that requires an act of prayer or an act of confession or just a laying on of hands. We're going to do that now and you can receive prayer. When I think of this, when I think of our church becoming a being with Jesus church, listening to one another and loving one another and leaning back on Jesus, I think of a, a community, honestly, it's 2021, guys. I think of a church that's strong enough to keep our hearts soft in the midst of all the crazy. This is how we'll keep our hearts soft. In all the debates and all the culture wars, it's actually more than culture war now. We are in a reality war. People have different views of even what reality is right now. And it's tearing families apart. So when I think of a community that's leaning back on Jesus, I think of a, fam a family that's strong enough to be a peaceful presence of love in the middle of the reality war. No gossip, just gentle praise in every private conversation cheering on other people's gifts, even when they're more successful and seemingly more rewarded than you for your same type of gift, cheer them on. An increased capacity to forgive despite our wounds. Celebrating Jesus' vision for singleness and marriage and sexuality in an overstimulated, hyper-release-oriented culture. 
I picture a community that's remaining aware of God's presence in the ordinary peanut butter and jelly, making lunch for the kids, changing diapers on the way to work life. God is present to me. God is present to me. Park Hill, I know our world's been, we all know the last two years are like, I don't know, like we're the generation that did that, you know? But I'll tell you, the only way to get true perspective is not through your news media algorithm that just pings off the kind of articles you already like. But the way to get a proper, clear view of reality and have real capacity to do something about it is from the place of being with Jesus, hearing his heart, because you are oriented to obey whatever comes out of his mouth, ready to obey whatever he says. It's the only way you'll have the clarity to then look out from his chest and then operate like he would in the world. So that's being with Jesus, you guys. Next week, we're gonna, we're gonna hear from Dan on what it looks like to become like Jesus and then to do what Jesus did. And, and so right now we're gonna open the room uh, and, and invite the Holy Spirit to come and just reintroduce us to the heartbeat of Jesus again. So feel free, can we stand together? I'm gonna pray over us. Holy Spirit, would you come? Search our hearts. See if there is anything opposed to your voice in us. And then, and then we say, we give it over to you. We'll be okay. Just like giving up our phones in a lockbox. We surrender to you. We'll be okay in you. Church family, we're going to have uh, baptisms. There's several folks that have signed up to be baptized during this gathering. We're going to cheer them in at the end. We have about 20 minutes together right now. Cheer, cheer them in at the end, the last 5, 10. But right now, we're going to come to the table of Jesus and receive from him the bread and the cup. And as you walk forward, there's Judas and there's the disciple whom Jesus loved. The difference is everything. Come to the table ready to respond to his voice. And if there is an orientation of betrayal, something you're holding from Jesus, not believing he's Lord of that, an agenda of yours, another destination in your map, maybe. Take this moment to say, Jesus, I reorient toward you. And as you eat the bread and drink the cup in a moment, this is you saying yes to his heartbeat, leaning back on him. So feel free right now to come forward during this song, grab the bread and cup, listen to the words being spoken over you, go back to your seat, hold on to it, and I'll lead us all in eating and drinking in a moment. Let's come forward.